And you know what was funny was that What's I on? walked out there and they had a, a studio audience of 60 people in pods, socially <laughs> distanced. And I walked out and I sat there for three minutes, not saying anything at all. And it like felt awkward. I didn't know my mic was on. And then I went like <clears throat> into the mic and I heard it in the house. I was like, oh my God, is this on? And everyone was like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, what's up guys? And then a producer walks over and he's like, this is your show for five minutes. Do whatever you want. And so I was like, hey, what's going on? My name's Tom and I'm at the piano. So I like started running it like a piano bar. And I was like, what do you want to hear? Shout something out. And someone was Taylor Swift. And I started playing Love Song or Love Story by Taylor yeah. Swift, Rocket Man. And, and so like, <laughs> of course, like people were like singing along. It was like a cool moment. And that allowed me to shake all the nerves off. And mm. I was like totally warm going into the tracking of it. So that was just another lucky thing to happen. Welcome everybody to the Baking, Baking Notes. Notes Podcast. It's the podcast. We're back, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us. But just before we get started, I just wanted to thank you for listening and please subscribe, download, and review. There are people out here listening to us like Lesty who say it's a great listen for the commute. So if you drive in a long time, you need to bump us while you drive it. Lesty said, found this while looking for something to drive to, and I'm hooked. You guys are super smart, and thanks for the laughs. So thank you, Lesty. If you want the chance for your review to be read here at the top of an episode, go ahead and leave us a review. Five stars only. I'm sorry. That's that's all, all we accept. That's all we accept. American Express, MasterCard, and five stars. If you want to talk to us between the episodes... Join us on the Discord. It's where we've got a lot of our Q&A. We've got game nights. We have all sorts of events, and it's the best way to get in touch with us. And if you want to jump in front of the line, you give us your money on Patreon. It's a direct way to support us, and we love you, both you and your money. So thanks again for all the support. So let's get to the episode. This one is very special to me. It features my friend Tom McGovern. He is a wonderful human being, as you'll see through our conversation. Incredibly inspiring. His most recent claim to fame is he was on American Idol season four. He was one of the featured auditions, and they actually loved him so much, they brought him back for the finale. During the pandemic, he, like many of us, were was performing in bars and on cruise ships and, and just a live performer, and the pandemic shut it all down. So during quarantine, he started writing jingles every single day. He asked uh, his following to send him requests for just silly subjects to write songs for and it turned out to be 70 he got 76 responses and then spent the next few months writing three jingles a day and it ended up landing him collaborations with ibm ruggable koala and other corporations to where he's writing music for them he's very open super personable and of course hilarious we talk about how to adapt during the pandemic being one half of a power couple <laughs> <laughs> and how life works as a comedic musician. So you can follow him on TikTok and Instagram at TomMcGovern27. And without further ado, let's welcome our next guest, Tom, Tom McGovern. McGovern. Sad dogs in Halloween costumes. Sad dogs, we dress them up like humans, baby. Sad dogs in Halloween costumes. Sad dogs, sad 
Don't try to tell me that they like this shit Cause if I was a dog I know I really wouldn't like this shit Dressing up like a frog Go ahead and put the costume on Thank you for coming to the Fake Nose Podcast, brother Thanks for having me, guys This is this is a treat It's a treat to see you in the digital realm I know, <laughs> man I know, I miss seeing you in person Because we actually got to know each other pretty in a non-sexual way, pretty intimately. Yes, with our indeed. our time on the Western Dam, man. And uh, you're actually one of the mo- people I've kept in touch with the most from our time there. Uh, I remember meeting you and Vinny on the day of embarkation. And I, I just remembered how nice the two of you were because we mm-hmm. were all like deers in headlights. You know? what a, yeah, what a weird experience, start of an experience. Yeah, man. You know? Yeah, I wanted to jump into it because there's so much that I want to get through in this episode. But speaking of ship life, I just wanted to circle back for a second, reminisce, because that was formative. And I I think what I'm seeing a lot of what you're doing, which is all phenomenal. It was cool because I saw you grow on the ship. You were a performer on Billboard on Board on the Westerdam. And uh, you and Vinny played the piano bar of, of the ship. Mm-hmm. And out of all those nights of taking requests, frantically learning music during the day, and bantering with the drunk passengers at night, mm-hmm. what was like the biggest standout moment for you from your time behind that piano? Standout moment in, in terms of in thinking about it, what was my like biggest takeaway from the gig? Sure. It could be that. It could be an encounter with a passenger that stood out in your mind. Yeah. Like any and all of the above. Yeah, great. So my first gut instinct when you say that about a passenger experience, the coolest part, I think, about working that very strange job, (laughs) being on a cruise ship for anywhere between three to six months, on paper, it's like, objectively, it's lunatic. That's just a crazy gig. It's so odd. But I think the best part was specifically with Holland America. First of all, Trevor, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I didn't even say that yet, my friend. I don't know if you've done any work on cruise ships, but Holland America specifically is the the demographic is much older. So I'd say the average age, I don't know, it's got to be between like 50 and 70, probably. You spend time with these people for 14 days at a time. It's the same crowd of people for two weeks. And you get to know people that continue to show up to your gigs. As Drew, I'm sure you knew with the Lincoln Center stage, you'd see some quote regulars. And so there was a woman on one cruise And she was 94 years old and she kept coming to the shows. One day towards the end of the cruise, she was cruising with her daughter who was in her 60s, which is just (laughs) crazy. Her daughter is in her 60s and her mom and her daughter are cruising together. And her daughter asked me to learn a uh, Frank Sinatra song. And I'm embarrassed to say that I don't remember what the song was at this point because it was so long ago. But it was her mom's wedding song with her father who had since passed away. So this is the first trip that they took together since her father had passed. And her mom was there and she was sitting side by side, maybe three feet from me in the piano because the guests sit pretty close. And I played the song and I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it because she, after the song was played, she just reached out her hand to shake my hand and I like grabbed her hand and she looked me in the eye with the most sincerity that I've ever felt from another person in any sort of music gigging context. And it really touched me to like, to the point where to this day, I have a very specific snapshot in my mind of that moment. And that to me was my biggest takeaway from the Holland America gig. 
because I played dueling piano shows in New York and Philly and all these shitty little dive bars. Mm-hmm. Am I allowed to curse? Yeah, 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 yeah. Curse yeah. all you want. Okay, okay yeah. yeah. <laughs> these shithole dive bars that's, that reek like stale Bud Light. <laughs> And you're playing like, you're playing Don't Stop Believing for people in their 20s for the sixth time this week. And on Holland America, it was really cool to have experiences like that where people sincerely appreciated the music that you were playing and sharing. And that was a moment that I always think back to. Pretty special. The song was WAP, right? WAP by Frank Sinatra? Yeah. (laughs) Right. Originally tracked by Frankie back in the day. The WAP pack. The WAP pack is, a lot of people don't know they were called that. Yeah. So, uh, really unbelievable. It's a moving song. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, walking down the aisle to WAP. Certified free. Seven days a week. That's an incredible moment. And that's, it's interesting how you paint it because I bet if you described to the layperson on the street, oh, I'm on a cruise ship gig. They yeah. wouldn't think that would create such intimate moments. They think yeah. that would be the how you describe these standard bar singer shows that are dingy. I think yeah. that's what people would have thought of for cruise ships, where it's right. oh, it's just commercial. We're on some wobbly boat. I'm so sick of this. It's my 400th. Don't stop believing. But yet you had such an intimate moment in that setting. It's awesome. Yeah, really special. And don't get me wrong, there are some cruise ship gigs that are the dingy, sticky bar gigs. And those are fun in their own way. But to play in Holland America for people that are like, you brought me back to the mid-60s. I remember being a kid and hearing this song. You played it again and brought me there. That's like a that's a very cool thing as a musician to experience. Wow. Yeah, it's like being a classical musician is like none of these people were alive when this music was made. So in a way, we don't even get that opportunity to play music that people remember growing up listening to when it was fresh, when it was new, when it was in the zeitgeist. So being in the pop realm, remind me, you've never, have you ever done classical? Have you ever, are you, do you have classical training at all? Not at all. And I wish that I did because my technique is not good. <laughs> Everyone we talk to, cause we've got a bunch of friends and we've now had a couple incredible lyricists, songwriters, or just people from all sorts of different backgrounds. And they'll all say, oh, I wish I had this. And I bet every classical musician is just, damn, I wish I could go on stage and know 300 songs. Like any classical musician, you're like, hey, can you just entertain someone for five minutes? We got a gap. I need to like plug in the iPad, play something. And they literally won't do it. Like they won't even know. They're like, oh, I have no songs ready. And after after 20 years of performing or something – and we yeah. just won't have a song ready. It's, I got to have the sheet music. Oh, I haven't practiced this with this, but they won't do it. And yet you could probably go uh, for like physically long as possible and like never run out of great yeah. songs. That's is, so interesting. It amazes me. Yeah. Likewise, it's like, I guess it's like, like a grass is always greener kind of thing. Cause I look at what you guys do and I am sincerely blown away by it. It's just like a different part of my musical brain that I, I don't comprehend. So yeah, it's, it's cool. That's, that's the beauty of it, man. Like, I can so deeply appreciate what you guys can do. And it's cool that somehow you can appreciate the kind of like piano bar crowd work improv aesthetic too. It's, it's awesome. Super stunned by it. Our second guest on here, a good friend of mine, Chris Hendricks, an incredible lyricist. And you two would have a great time. He's hilarious. And he's another one of those. I call him because I don't deal with lyrics, but I'll deal with the, the background, the mm-hmm. film scores, other things. And I'm like, ah, oh, this really needs a song. And so I, I call up my friend Chris and I'm like, I, I need a song. Film's called Sandcastles. Call the song Sandcastles and make it metaphorical. Hang up. And then in 15 minutes, 
I get an email and it's this amazing thing that I've said, I could never have done this. And the yeah. dude, it, it, it's 20 minutes late. I haven't even got home and I got it in my inbox. And I'm just so amazed. It's hilarious how they'd always share those similar sentiments about being impressed by all the classical stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The fact that you can do this, you can write a banger on the back <laughs> of a napkin yeah, is absolutely uh, stunning and impressive. So hats cool. off to you. Yeah, cool. Thanks, man. That's it's cool. One thing that I really appreciate is you're incredibly humble, Tom, and you understand the work that really goes into cultivating not only playing the piano and singing, but also playing guitar. I didn't even know you had guitar uh, under your belt until I saw you on American Idol, bro. Yeah, yeah. Can we talk quick, a little briefly about how much I personally hate television talent shows. <laughs> I'd love to talk about how much I personally hate television talent shows. <laughs> so, you're in good company, dude. Good. I wanted to actually delve down this road. It was right before we got on the ship. I got a call from a promoter for America's Got Talent just randomly. She came across my Instagram. Mm -hmm. And she like hit me. I was like, we want you to audition for the show. And I, at first I was like, okay <laughs> dope right and then immediately she asked me so what's your story do you have any <laughs> tragedy or anything like i'm curious in as much detail as possible can you talk about some of those moments that the moments leading up to playing that unique personalized song for lionel richie Katy perry and luke bryan where did it start and what was that preparation and then what was it like after that Absolutely. I'd love to. Yeah. So I'll lay down the context of the yeah. fact that for about six years, I've been a, a live gigging cover band dueling piano musician. So I started in Philly, then I moved to New York and I've been doing it there and getting by that way. And obviously none of us musicians ever expected the world to, to shut down and, and for us to lose the ability to play live. And so March, 2020, the shutdown hit and immediately like thousands and thousands of us, I was struck with, holy shit, what the hell am I going to do to try to make some money? And so I looked at everything that I could possibly bring to the table creatively. And I was like, okay, things that I know I'm good at. I can write like a fun, catchy little song pretty quickly. And at that point, I really didn't know that much about production, but I was like, I, I can kind of mess around in logic. So maybe I'll put a thing out on Instagram and I'll say, hey, we're all stuck inside. A lot of us are bummed out. Obviously, this is a terrifying time. For 20 bucks, uh, I'll write you a, a 60 second song about anything that you want. And I called them jingles. And I put the Instagram video out and I told my girlfriend who I was living with at the time in Florida because I moved down there to, to get out of the city. Mm -hmm. I told her, I was like, if I can make $200 doing this, I'll be happy. If I can write 10 songs, I'll be good. The next day I had 76 requests for jingles. What? <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I'm telling you, I was stressed out in a good way, <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. but dude it was such a cool challenge and it literally changed my life and it sounds dramatic to say that but it changed my life because it forced me to dive headfirst into a creative endeavor unencumbered by the craziness of new york and live gigging because we were quarantined so there was literally nothing else to do other than watching love island and recording and writing songs the essentials. So, the essentials. Most, you know. Study the craft. Study the craft. You know, you gotta work with what you know. 
<laughs> I I could talk for an hour about that show, but we're not gonna. <laughs> that, uh, that'll be episode two when we bring that's it back. episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, we'll break when it down. I come back on. Yeah, right. yeah. So my days like from March to I don't know, really like June or July, I would wake up, I'd make a coffee, I'd write and record three jingles, and then it would bring me to dinner, and then I would watch <laughs> Love Island, and then go to bed and wake up and do it again. And so I ended up writing like a couple hundred songs in the window of six to eight months. And that being said, like the, I'd say 40% of those songs were trash. Like they, they were not good. A lot of them were hip hop songs where I would just rip a beat from YouTube and then I'd write some dumb little bars over it. And uh, Drew, you know this because we used Bro, to, <laughs> we used we to freestyle. Used to freestyle. Yeah, yeah, you were really good. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I love just I love messing around with dumb like comedy rap stuff. But what it taught me was that songwriting, I really think, is a muscle like anything else, and literally the only way to get better is to just keep writing, write every single day. And this project forced me to write every single day. And it ended up getting me a write up on people.com and it got me some more traffic on Instagram. And I got a lot better at producing from home. And I signed up for a production course and I like studied logic every day. And fast forward to the summer, August, 2020, I was making TikToks in quarantine. I had a TikTok called Shut the Fuck Up and Put On Your Mask. It was like this little song. That I wrote <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, thanks. And uh, it popped off. It got a couple million plays and American Idol found that video the casting director was living with her father in New Jersey at the time. I have to, have to give context because I think this story is hilarious. Her father is partially deaf in one ear. So he everything he listens to is blasting loud and he loves TikTok. So at, at the end of every, this sounds like a lot of detail, but I, I promise it's worth it. At the end of every day, he would fall asleep listening to TikToks and whatever TikTok he fell asleep watching would just open loop. And so the casting director would come downstairs and turn his phone off for him. One of these nights, he happened to fall asleep watching the mask song. And so it was oh looping in her house. God. And she was like, what the hell is this song? And so she went down and watched it while he was sleeping, started cracking up, and was like, this is hilarious. She sent it to the executive producers. They said that they had already seen it on TikTok too and said, hey, get in touch with this kid. And so a couple of days later, I guess, I got an email from Ariel saying, hey, do you have any interest in auditioning? I had never considered myself a vocalist. I still don't. And it's not even like a, a, a fishing thing. I, I'm just like, I'm not a singer. That's okay. And so I'd never considered going for Idol or The Voice or anything like that. But when she hit me up and said I could fast track to the producer audition on Zoom, I was like, fuck it. Why not? Like, it's if this year has told me anything, it's just say yes to stuff. You never know what's going to happen. So long story short, I audition, I get approved. And then comes to what's your story? If you know me at all, you know that I have lived one of the most privileged, comfortable, suburban white dude lives that you could ever imagine. So they're like, tell us about yourself. What's your struggle? And I was like, I grew up in a really healthy family. And <laughs> my parents have a nice dynamic and they love all of me and my siblings. And uh, financially, I've been pretty okay my whole life. And I've been able to have jobs and I went to college and I study theater and one time i had a bike stolen from me that was a bummer. And, uh, there it is yeah like you said like you watch these shows and it's like, what's the worst thing that ever happened to you and no <laughs> yeah. no disrespect to anyone that has overcome hardships or anything like those stories are amazing for a reason but i was so self-conscious talking to the story producer because i was like i don't know 
I don't have anything that was tumultuous really. And I'm so fortunate to be able to say that. But like when I mentioned the jingle thing, she was like, that's it. So that became my quote narrative. Yeah. And so I auditioned and two weeks later they hit me up and they're like, hey, how would you feel about writing a jingle about the judges that you could perform for your audition? So I was like, yeah, no problem. I'd been doing it like eight months at that point and it came very easily to me. So I took a spin that was like, hey, like my mom was so excited to find out that I got an audition. So she went on Wikipedia <laughs> and looked up info on all you guys, <laughs> Luke Bryan, Lionel Richie, and Katy Perry. Yeah, and I yeah. put some like random facts into a song, sent them a demo. They're like, love it. Let's print it. Bring that to, to the audition. They flew me out in October and then I auditioned. And if anyone that's listening is familiar with these TV reality shows, as I know you guys are, it's not what it seems. Whatever it is, not what happened. I was in the room for like, I think the casting director told me it was like 18 minutes. And she said it was one of the longer auditions they've ever had. Wow. And they cut it down to 2.30 for the actual televised cut. And it was interesting. That's how I got there. And that was how I ended up doing that original song on the show. Thank you for all of that context. I really appreciate, first of all, as like interviewer, you shared so many different nooks and crannies of this. Just like the fact that like the casting director's father, who's half deaf, (laughs) falling asleep to watching TikToks. I hope I didn't misquote this. That is my best recollection of what she told me about what happened. For sure. However... That's wild, dude. That's the kind of thing that I try to tell kids when I'm giving motivational speeches or if they're asking me about career advice. You don't know what's going to pop off. You don't know how things are going to happen. You literally, there's no way to predict. There's no way. You just got to keep making things that light you up and then you never know. You literally, this is a first-hand example of you you just never know what's going to happen. That's wild. If it had just gotten stuck on some other TikTok... Dude, I know. It's so crazy to think about. It still makes me laugh. And I'm stressing, looking depressing because I gotta pay rent. But if I make it through April and pay my May rent, I gotta call my mom and tell that bitch I made it. I made it. I made it. I not only made rent, I fucking paid it. I made it. I made it. I not only made my rent, I motherfucking paid it. What? Yo, ma, it's me, your dope ass. Calling to tell you that I made it to the first of the month. I work as hard as I can. I hustle all over town. So about that song, were you nervous to go in and talk about Katy Perry's teeth? Or were you confident? You're like, this is worth it. You know what's so funny? Is I was fully confident that it was like a fun, cute little move to make. Because I my bottom row is janky. And so I when I wrote it, I very much did not mean for it to be a burn against her teeth. I meant for it to be like, hey, look, my teeth are fucked up. So are yours. We have that in common. That's great. You're a superstar. Mm -hmm. I live in New Jersey in my childhood bedroom. We have that (laughs) in common. And then I looked at the YouTube comments. They're like, what a savage going for Katy Perry's teeth on national TV. (laughs) He really went for it. And I was like, guys, this is not what I meant to do. So I was fully confident going in because I was like, I'm not trying to take a jab at her. I'm trying to say, hey, this is a funny thing that we share. I thought it was great. It didn't really come off as a jab, but no, I, I, I like loved that you like went to these places, of course, for humor to like find those little quirky things. And it certainly was memorable. I think I remember the Katy Perry, did she share that on her socials or something? I remember it, her it, like talking about it. Yeah, she tweeted a picture of herself going like this with her bottom row. Hey, Tom McGovern, bottom rows for life or something like that. Yeah, I'll see. That's, let's go. 
Yeah, like that was so cool. Katy Perry mm-hmm. tweeted at me. If yeah. anything, that's just like a cool thing to say that happened. It's you should put that cool. on your YouTube banner. <laughs> Katy Perry tweeted at me once. Tom <laughs> Government 28, I got tweeted at by Katy yeah, so. Katy Perry. So what did you do today? You know, that's my yeah, that's my highest achievement. <laughs> and Lionel Richie standing up, giving you a standing O must have felt yeah. crazy. That was amazing because he's obviously an absolute legend to the Commodores and everything that he's done. And he was sincerely, of the three, the most, he was the kindest. He was like, Mm. you walk in, he's making direct eye contact with you, asking you how you're doing. Sincerely, like a very nice dude. And Katie has her whole persona to hold up. Luke Bryan, I'm almost positive, was like a little buzzed. And I don't blame him because... That dude, (laughs) It was like 8.30 at night. He had a red solo cup. It was the third of three days of auditions. I hope he was drunk. He deserves to be at that point. Ah, have you ever done any judging for any competitions or anything like that? I, I honestly don't think so. No. Teaching? Have you, have you ever taught? Have you guys? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Yeah. It's Long weird day. being at the table. It's really yeah. weird. I've been on like the, like the casting side of thing for theater yeah. and that's just so uncomfortable do you Ugh. give it away that you that you really liked them or that they're not the right fit or so this that is, this is going bad you, yeah. actually because i i feel like if i was an actor or a musician listening to someone uh who has been on that side of the table as people that have sat on the other end what is something that you would want someone walking into the room to know. Because as someone that has walked into many rooms on the auditioner side, I am like bugging out most of the time and obviously super, super nervous in a lot of these situations. So as like a, as a judge or someone in casting, what's like a strong piece of advice you could offer somebody? I'll jump right in. I think you almost perfectly put the nail on the head <laughs> with Luke in that remembering so much of it doesn't matter necessarily about what you're going to perform. It might be the wrong time of day. It might be day three. You've been in that room for 12 hours. You're tired or you're super buzzed out with your solo cup. And <laughs> like, just there's so many things that aren't always about the performance. So if someone's looking like angry and like upset, you might have yeah. been crushing it. They might just literally be exhausted. So I always thought about this in something very different than American Idol, but like auditioning for schools and you're going in and it's a formal academic interview is just to remember, okay, it's 4 PM. They're probably hungry. They're probably angry and they're not going to remember who everyone is. And so I come in and I bring up the energy because I know it's 4 PM or it's the first one in the morning or you're setting the tone. And so I think for me, it's comforting and reminding myself that I can only control so much, but also I can use that knowledge of, being in their shoes to my advantage crack jokes do whatever it takes that'll fit that moment do you have anything specific drew yeah man that's such an interesting question tom and i recently sat as a judge for the colorado mtna competition for like high schoolers it's a concerto competition and i can't even imagine how luke was feeling because it was only one day but it was eight hours and I was on my couch, so I, it wasn't like I was out somewhere dressed up, looking nice. I was at home, so like objectively, I was fine. But yeah. still, I was exhausted by the end of the process. And one thing that, from being on both sides, that I've noticed is when you're a judge, you want 
everybody to do well. And that's kind of cliche, but it's true because you don't want to sit there and waste your life. You want to see something. You want to see something interesting. And the one advice that I would really probably tell is something that was given to me right before my Juilliard audition. And it is to take your time. Don't care about messing up or looking stupid and do your damnedest to say something, to really go there, go the extra mile, play so softly that your sound cracks or play so loudly that it, it breaks for a second. Like just really go there because you only have one chance yeah. and that one chance you need to just make sure that they leave with some sort of impression because it's worse that they don't even remember you at all and i think you did that bro i think you did that like <laughs> it's memorable obviously. it's so memorable you're getting oh, tweeted oh. at that that's the pinnacle of my real artistic career i think is a solid tweet <laughs> a solid tweet well i i would actually argue uh against that because like they they asked you to come back at the end of season four correct dude for the they finale did. which was a Crazy. total trip that was wild did they just call you and say come back and perform for the season you got to perform in american idol like you didn't even have to compete i think yeah. you got the best of both worlds wouldn't you say in retrospect i i could not agree more i like in thinking about it, i was like damn i just i cheated the system a little bit here <laughs> hell yeah i auditioned and then i circumvented all of the bs and still got to perform on the finale stage which is it was so cool man they hit me up in it must have been like i think may late may or june 2021 I forget when the finale aired at this point. I don't know. I don't remember what the timeline was. But I got a call and it was so funny. They're like, they're really cool people over there. They're really nice people. I got a call from one of the producers and she was like, hey, if you don't hate us after the way that the audition was aired, we would love to have you back. And to be honest with you, when I, I was with my family watching the initial audition go down. Yeah. And when I heard the pizzicato string underscore come on, the it, the oh yeah yeah i was thing. so pissed i was, Dude, I was so like pissed. come on guys you, yeah. you come on my experience yeah. with you in person was nothing like that so she was cool to acknowledge that and she was like we were talking about how we want to fill time in the finale and you were one of the first names that came up because you were a fun guy to work with and we love the creative comedic sensibility of the jingle song do you have any interest writing a summary jingle that summarizes the whole season and at this point, I'm like totally comfortable writing jingles. I've started working with some businesses and like some formal context just like this. So I was like, let's do it. Hell yeah. She said that I could get paid for it this time, which is also let's obviously. Go, yeah. Dude. Yeah. So it was great. So they sent me, they're actually great. They sent me like 40 bullet points of season highlights in priority order. And they're like, you have 90 seconds. Here's 40 highlights fit as much of that as you can we'll take it from there and so i wrote the song and i tracked like a full band orchestration and then i tracked a solo piano orchestration just in case because they said i might be able to play with the house band Damn, you tracked a full oh. band arrangement and yeah, piano yeah. arrangement my guy dude I, it was fortunate for me just because that's what i've been doing so i feel like I feel comfortable laying down. And again, my arrangements are not necessarily complicated. Like it's a lot of garage band instruments in the sense of it's like piano, guitar, bass, drums most of the time. Some sick ass MIDI strings, mm -hmm. guys. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they dug it and they chose the solo arrangement and then they flew me out. I was in LA for three days. 
Uh, yeah. I got to bump around and, and get some great food. And then I sound checked on stage and we did it in two takes. The first take, I messed up my own lyrics, and but they messed up a camera move. So it worked out. And then uh, second take, they're like, we got it. That's it. Nice job. Wow. Let's go, dude. And you know what was funny was that What's I fun? walked out there and they had a, a studio audience of 60 people in pods, <laughs> socially distanced. And I walked out and I sat there for three minutes, not saying anything at all. And it like felt awkward. I didn't know my mic was on. And then I went like <clears throat> into the mic and I heard it in the house. I was like, oh my God, is this on? And everyone was like, yeah. <laughs> And I was like, whoa, what's up, guys? And then a producer walks over and he's like, this is your show for five minutes. Do whatever you want. And so I was like, hey, what's going on? My name's Tom and I'm at the piano. So I like started running it like a piano bar. And I was like, what do you want to hear? Shout something out. And someone's Taylor Swift. And I start playing Love Song or Love Story by Taylor yeah. Swift, Rocket Man. And, and so like, <laughs> of course, like people were like singing along. It was like a cool moment. And that allowed me to shake all the nerves off. And I was like totally warm going into the tracking of it. So that was just another lucky thing that happened. Wow. Pretty fun. How much time did you have to whip up? Because we had some questions about that. Of course, this is a very professional podcast. We do our research. And one of our big ones (laughs) was like how much lead up time you gave or you had to write that song. So they actually gave you bullet points. Yeah, it's nuts. So initially they had wanted me to fly out towards the end of the month, but I had a conflict with, it was like a wedding or or a gig that I had to go to. And so I was like, the only option that I can do is next weekend. And if that's available for you guys. And so they're like, we thought you needed more time, but if you can make it happen, let's do it. And so I probably, I think I wrote it in three days and then uh, wrote it and recorded it in three. And then we did four days of revisions. We locked it in on Tuesday and I flew out on Thursday. So I was still memorizing the song when I flew out because there were a lot of things that changed. Like one of the the cast members had to drop and so I had to remove him and and replace the lyric with something. So yeah, it was a a little under a week. That's nuts. You're on horseback. You have a bow and arrow and you're trying to hit a moving target on horseback. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that's that's legit. legit. It was cool, man. Thank you. It was a very cool, it was a great challenge and, uh, and it was a really cool experience it really was can i ask you a little bit x i want to ask you guys we got bows and arrows we got axes axes. we got axes dude i got the whole armory up here (laughs) so Mm -hmm. you briefly mentioned after doing eight months of writing jingles you began working with businesses can you talk a little bit about the the development of that wing because like you don't have to perform live that much anymore if you don't want to correct you've started to build a business what was that like how did that develop yeah again it was just something that that presented itself based on my just my output and just like writing jingles and being willing to share them on social media there were a couple people in the beginning there were just a couple small startups that had employees that followed my personal instagram page where i was sharing the jingles initially And there was a startup called Koala. They're like an Airbnb competitor for timeshares. And there was someone who works for the company that followed me. And she's like, hey, I think it's really fun what you're doing. We'd love to have you write a parody for us to represent like a sweepstakes that we have to promote our brand. And so I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so I wrote a parody of If I Only Had a Brain from The Wizard of Oz. (laughs) (laughs) It was super fun. And they like animated it with a little koala. And I made a lyric video. and, And that it just worked out. 
And then they, I ended up working with them a couple more times. And then through sharing that, fast forward a couple months, there was uh, just a couple different companies that ended up reaching out because they just they were just seeing the things that I was sharing. And honestly, TikTok played a huge role because Word. I got a, a handful of emails from different companies. I just did a little spot for Ruggable, which they make amazing stuff. I lo- sincerely love the rugs. And so I was like, hype on it. They're like, hey, we love your funny little songs. Do you want to write a 15 second spot for us? And I was like, yeah, mm. hell yeah. So it really just came from just continuing to write and record and share. And then uh, I think especially now with the popularity of TikTok, Instagram, YouTube ads, companies are more inclined to take a chance on original creators that want to use their own voice to send the message. And so if there's a company that believes in a a comedic, musical comedic voice like mine, then they're willing to say, hey, we'll pay you to do this. And yeah, it's just a a lucky thing. Do they let you have pretty wide artistic license. I'm always curious about doing parodies for companies because their marketing team, okay, here's five bullet points. It's not a vehicle. It's a driving experience. All the talking points, the brand (laughs) notes. Have have there been pushback when you put something maybe that crosses the line in a parody video? Or have you had a kind of smooth experience with this? Yeah. For the most part, it's been okay, honestly. But it is really funny like working with a corporate institution because the (laughs) as I'm sure you guys know, the language can be so clinical sometimes. And I'm like, I'm trying to write a parody of My Name Is by Eminem. And yeah. you're like telling me that you need to need to hit quarterly merger numbers or whatever, whatever the fuck it is. Yeah. But, uh, for the most part, it's been okay because I, I just try to take the information and just synthesize it. And I know within my own limits, if it's a corporate song for a company, I'm not going to go super blue with anything. I'm just going to try to say the information in a fun way. And again, that's a skill set that has only been developed because I've done it so much. In the beginning, like it was definitely confusing to try to make something really sterile sound fun. But at this point, it comes a, a little easier. There's a lot of money to be had when you're able to make family-friendly content, too. So wh- one of the biggest reasons I wanted to bring you on this podcast, number one, is because I love you. I think you're an amazing <laughs> creator. Yeah, thank you. Love right back. Number two is because you are the faking fan. You embody what we try to do in this world, which is be well-rounded. You have so many different tools in your toolkit that all work together to create this unique skill set. And one of those things we haven't even touched on yet, which has shown up in your sketch comedy, is your improv background. Faking fan from long ago, from the very first episodes, heard me talk about my improv classes here at UCB <laughs> yes, in sir. Los Angeles. And they are your fault because like, <laughs> you, you in- encouraged me to get into that. And I, I did two classes. I had signed up for a third and the pandemic hit. Yeah. And it's so funny, UCB Sunset, where I was taking classes, they closed down. Mm. They ran out of money. But UCB wondering- in New York closed too. The wow. one in New York closed? Yeah, man. Yeah. It's, it's replaced by a place called Asylum, which is also great. But yeah, oh, yeah UCB is, is out in New York. It's crazy. Wow. The only one in Los Angeles that's left is Franklin. So for the unindoctrinated, what are two or three of the biggest lessons that you've learned from improv comedy that you continually apply to your everyday life that you could share with our faking fam that they could apply to their life as well? hundred percent. Immediately, the first one that comes to mind, I think the most important lesson improv has taught me 
is listening is everything. It's literally just listening and responding. And in UCB, UCB is interesting because they have a very strict skill set or or set of rules rather that you need to follow. And you think improv comedy, you think this is the opposite of rules and working within boundaries, but they have a comedic formula that they think works. And one of the things that they teach that I think is really important and that I bring day to day is the most important thing is the last thing that was said. That's all that matters. You're shooting yourself in the foot in an improv scene and in real life if all you're doing is staying in your own head thinking about how you can make it funny. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that you're present and you're listening and that you're just responding to whatever your partner on stage or someone that you're talking to in real life has just said. That is lesson number one. And it's something that I carry into my day to day. It's something that I carry into the piano bars. And it relieves an immense amount of pressure because as you know, Drew and Trevor, have you taken any improv stuff before? I have not. I have not. Okay. I tried so hard, dude. I tried so hard. We'll talk about it. I am a firm believer. I think that anyone in any creative capacity should take at least one class. I think therapy and improv classes. Therapy and improv. Sometimes they're one and the same. I forget what I was saying. Yeah, it's listening and responding. That's like in improv, you're sitting on the back line. You're like sitting on the wall waiting to jump into a scene. And it's so easy to get caught up thinking like, okay, how can I make a joke? How can I be funny? What can I do to like to make people laugh? And as soon as you start thinking that way, you're going to lose because that's counterintuitive to everything that improv is. It's, it's just about being present and listening and responding. And I think that applies day to day too. If you're having a conversation with someone, it's so easy to get caught up in the thing that you need to do at 6.30 or the thing that you need to do tomorrow. But like in the moments where I actively try to like take a breath and say, okay, let me look this person in the eye and try to learn something about this person. Actually take something away from this conversation. You leave feeling, you just feel better. You just feel good. And improv taught me that. So That's so funny. Thank you for sharing that because it will have dropped by the time this is live. Uh, A two-part series talking about social skills for musicians. Oh, cool. Cool. And one of those one of those things is listening. And and I'm glad that you brought that back and brought that back from your improv training because that's everything. If you're not present, people feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, You can you can tell immediately. It it translates everywhere. I think one of the faults of the, the classical music background, the going to school for music, is that all this attention is focused on just the music. And yet, that's a surprisingly small percentage of what really matters. It's really about the whole package. We love all of these big pop figures like Katy Perry. The music is freaking awesome. It's a banger. Mm-hmm. But also that video is dope. Her personality, her on stage, like you buy into the whole package. And I think with music school and this kind of sole focus on music instead of saying like, hey, you know, you're going to have to go talk to people. You're going to have to be adaptable. You need some type of persona or something that kind of can help separate you. All these other social skills and things that you can learn from in improv uh, and your theater background that help enable and elevate the music. 100%. I feel like I feel imposter syndrome even five years into this dueling piano thing on stage sometimes because I'm self-taught and my technique is just choppy. I'm throwing clams most of the time. But on a gig like that, 50% of it is actually playing music. And like you're saying, 50% of it is, can I communicate and entertain a crowd? And can I like take in the room, which is a different room every night? And can I make it fun and an inclusive, like entertaining environment for everyone, no matter what the room looks like? 
And that's something that I honestly feel really comfortable doing. And so if I butcher a, a riff on a Billy Joel tune that I'm supposed to know, it literally doesn't matter, especially in the bar context, because everyone's like kind of drunk anyway, and they just want to sing along. <laughs> Respect to so many people that I work with that they shed and they like, they learn all of the specific licks and stuff. And when you play something record perfect, it's impressive. But no one's going to leave that bar saying, oh, wow, he hit the major seventh on the three. And that was really like, no one ever does that. <laughs> They're going to leave saying, hey, he made Stacy get up and do the Macarena during Baby Got Back. It's like, <laughs> you remember the things that only come from listening and responding. Faking fam, that right there was it. You <laughs> only remember the things that come from listening and responding. Because it comes down to connection. It comes down to human connection. And we as musicians are blessed with the ability to have a tool to use to connect more directly to someone than just person talking to a person. We can use music to connect in a way that non-musicians really can't. And, and if you're able to bring your musicianship and synthesize it with your ability to actually listen to someone and take in what they're giving you and then offer something back, then that's that's the lottery in my mind. That's it. And speaking of listening and responding and being able to bring out that emotion that is music, uh, I'd like to ask you about your, your, your essentially your songwriting challenges, these jingles. Could you break down the genius of the lyric, sucking on a chili dog? <laughs> yeah, this is my magnum opus, dude. <laughs> oh, man. I cannot believe how that video blew up <laughs> i sincerely can't believe it it's so stupid and I, I maybe that's why it's so dumb i was just like talking to a buddy on discord we were like playing some games one night and he was like singing the chorus to jack and diane sucking on a chili dog and he was like wouldn't it be funny if all of the words were that and i was like i'm recording this tomorrow that's fucking hilarious Fair enough i've tracked it because it's so it was easy to do you just get a karaoke track and you lay the harmony sound whatever and i i find my favorite kind of comedy is like if it's just the dumbest thing possible grounded in as much sincerity and real emotion as possible and so sometimes it's fun to wink at the fact that you're making a joke but if you can be grounded and and like really emotionally sincere while you're singing about sucking on a chili dog i think that's the, the funniest thing so yeah i tracked it and then it popped off on twitter and then it popped off on youtube and there was actually, there's this dude named Clownvis, who is a, he's a comedian performer based in, I want to say St. Louis. I, I can't remember exactly. He's a dude that dresses like Elvis as a clown. And he was Whoa. doing this bit in a live show for like a decade, a similar bit. It's not the same thing. It's similar. And when I put the video out and it blew up, there were like a bunch of people that were coming for me saying I stole Clownvis's bit. And then I had to defend myself for a while online mm. saying it's possible for two people to arrive at the same dumb idea. Yeah. They're different enough, but I don't know. That's not Did what we're Did Clownvis come for you? You know, it was funny, man. He was really cool about it. He has a weekly or a multi-nightly live stream show. Wow. And he, he reached out and he was like, hey, man, I know a lot of people are, a, a lot of my fans are angry about this. I'd love to have you on the show so we can talk about it and maybe try to quell the flames a little bit, yeah. which is really cool of him to That's do. That's so cool, man. Yeah. I was nervous as hell to do it because I was like, <laughs> I don't want to look like an idiot. Like, yeah. to me, I, you guys know I make short form musical comedy videos. That's just what I do. So this is just another video. You never <laughs> know what's going to pop off. Yeah. And so yeah. I went on the show and he like talked to me about it and he was a really nice guy. 
and uh, his fans still hate me, but it doesn't really matter because I, I don't really give a shit. The way you came to that conclusion was you were just y- – y'all were gaming, and it was just a line yeah. that you just got fixated on. That was it. That's it. I was like, this is hilarious and so dumb, and I, yeah. I got to try it. Did you even – you didn't even know about Clown Vis before you made it. I had no idea. People were commenting on Instagram saying, Clown Vis, Clown Vis did it first. And I was like, who the fuck is Clown Vis? Yeah. And so I Instagrammed him and I was like, oh, Clown Vis, Clown Elvis. And respect to him. He's got a very strong brand and he's been doing it for literally over a decade. But I had, I swear to God, I had never heard of this dude before. Can we talk about that actually? What's so interesting is like he's taken a brand of somebody who's passed away and then created a variation on it. And I have a thesis when it comes to building brands that you can never be bigger than the original. If you're doing, if you're doing a cover, if you're doing a parody, if you're doing anything, you can never really have more cultural impact than the original. And so I'm so glad that he recognized, like, how ironic would it be if he came for you, but he's literally biting off of Elvis, and that's yeah, his right. brand, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. That's so funny. I've never thought about it like that. Luckily, we didn't have to cross that bridge because he was really cool about it. But trust me, if he like tried to publicly shame me over a dumbass video that I made in my girlfriend's closet for fun, I would have like absolutely would have snapped back. But like, he was cool about it. So cool. Luckily. You got soldiers, man. You got soldiers. <laughs> I'll fight that battle with you, man. Thanks, man. <laughs> I know Thank your you. heart. I know your heart. Yeah, I would never <laughs> steal something from another comic that's like the worst case scenario i would never do that can we talk a little bit about your your sketches because they're hilarious i remember when you dropped the siri one and just all these other little funny things even just to your instagram stories i remember the ones with the nutcracker the basement i'm like these are hilarious you had done a follow-up and i'm like sitting in bed i'm like hey amy uh to my fiance i'm like hey watch this this guy's so funny and she and I was like, no, 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 no. Trust me. Like the first one was really funny. This is like a sequel. And so I'm trying to like explain your Instagram oh, stories cool. uh, to, to her. It's really hilarious. I'm curious for these things that aren't necessarily going to involve music. Do you still treat them in a similar way? Do you have a, a notebook of ideas or is it just, oh yeah, that's funny. I'm, I'm going to do this right now and send it. Yeah. The Nutcracker thing was a spontaneous. I was making it up as I was making it in the basement. I would just take a picture, caption it, take another one, (laughs) caption it. Again, just like that's an example of the improv skill set. This is the last thing I said. What would the Nutcracker say? (laughs) What would the Nutcracker (laughs) say now? It's so dumb. But for the regular sketches, it's, dude, if you looked at my voice memos app on my phone, I look like a schizophrenic. (laughs) I have, I I literally hundreds and hun- over a thousand plus of just like random little things of like me walking in New York, dropping an idea into my phone to save for later. And um, with all of the sketches, I like, like I have two scripts right here of things that I'm cutting down. I'll take a, a premise and then I'll write it out in a script writing software. And then I'll shoot it like a traditional multi-character sketch with other actors. But I, I like to do sketches where I play multiple characters just because it's low input. Pro, like production wise mm-hmm. like I love I obviously love collaborating with other people but sometimes as you guys know it's hard to get people to link up and some people are flaky and whatnot and so I started doing these sketches where I'm playing all of the characters just so if I want to do it I can do it now on my own time so yeah all of the character sketches that you see that are posted on Instagram or YouTube those are all thought out and, and planned and edited beat for beat stuff 
Sucking on a chili dog 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 So one cool thing about you that I really adore is like how good you are to and like how supportive you are to Talia. And I'm really, would you be interested to share like how you guys met? Because I went from, you weren't with her when we were on the ship, but then like afterward, I just kept up with you and then she started popping up in yeah. close yeah. friends. <laughs> I was like, oh, who this? Who is that? Who this? Tom. Who this? Tom? How'd you guys meet? So I play at a bar in New York in Times Square called Haswell Greens. That's actually where the Nutcracker lives, in the basement of that bar. Ah. And uh, that bar has been very good to me. I've played there for a handful of years. And Talia was on Broadway in a show called Be More Chill back in Mm -hmm. 2018. And it was a 10-minute walk from this bar. And it was just like, it's a fun spot for the Broadway community because there's live music every night. And I was playing in the band there at the time. And she came in one night and saw me playing with the band and she was like that guy is cute who is that she introduced herself after the show and i was like that girl is cute who is that and uh, that was in like august 2018 and then we kind of flirted on instagram for about two months and nothing really happened and then eventually she reached out to me i didn't think she was interested because like she came back into the bar like a month later and played it so cool that I was like, damn, I guess I've been misreading the vibe. She like, this girl hates me. Eventually she hit me up and she was like, A, when am I going to come see the musical you're in? And B, when are we going to get a damn drink already? And I had some tickets to go see King Kong, the musical. Which was ah, yes. A, a love story. A love story. <laughs> the quintessential Broadway love story. And so we went on our first date and then we saw each other literally every night that week. And then we were just like, this makes all the sense in the world. She has since gone on to leave her Broadway show and be more chill. She was unemployed for like a month, and then she booked Elphaba on the national tour of Wicked at age 23, mm. which is just, dude, she is she's phenomenal. And uh, I am in awe of her talent, her drive, and her ability to manifest exactly what it is that she wanted to do. She actually just shared something on her Instagram. It was a screenshot of a Facebook status from 2013, and she said, if there's anything, something along these lines, if there's anything that I can do, the only thing I want to do is play Alphabet one day, then I'll be content. And then the next picture is her getting painted on the cover of the New York Times as Alphabet. It's just phenomenal. And then there's me at 28 in my childhood bedroom making TikToks. You're, you really are a power couple and everyone deserves a chance to fly. <laughs> Both accomplished some like Trevor. pretty big dreams. You've been on American Idol. She's been in, in Wicked. And I was just curious what that's like for you to experience some of these highlights together, both being in the performing arts and to both hit special moments that you've thought about for a long time. Yeah, we're really lucky because like we're, she's amazing in, in the sense that she is fiercely supportive of everything that I'm doing, even though a lot of the stuff that I'm doing is so objectively stupid. It's like the comedy is so dumb, but she always shares my stuff and she's always, she helps me talk through those inevitable moments where I I dig myself into a hole and I'm like, what is, what am I doing with my life? Like my shit isn't funny. I'm not as good as this person, whatever. She helps me out of those moments and she is just so, I'm really grateful for her because she's so supportive and she's just on my team hundred percent. So when the American Idol thing happened, she was like super obviously jazzed about everything and she was there to see it and 
she flew out with me the first time and supported me there. And then like to see her play Alphaba, dude, I like, I went out 13 times. I saw the show 13 times on the road because my schedule pre pandemic allowed me to travel like early because I worked on the weekends only. And so I would fly out and see her and it's really cool like to be dating someone and we're in just different enough spheres that we don't, there's not like the weird dynamic in some of the, these power couples where there's like a sense of competition because we're doing radically different things, even though we're both performers. So it's just a lot of fuck. Yeah. Like you're, you just got a write up in the New York times. That's unbelievable. You're a rock star. Like, fuck. Yeah. You just booked a gig to write a song for IBM after not doing this last year at all. Like little things like that. Cool stuff. I want to hear about that shit, bro. Dude, I, that was another thing. Like, uh, someone, it's I'm writing a, an internal thing for IBM that that only the employees will see. But someone hit me up on LinkedIn and it was like, "Hey, man, you, <laughs> this oh is my god, the very first uh, thing time in human history that like LinkedIn wow. has created a musical output." So, continue. dude, link, LinkedIn social hooked it up. Shout out okay. to LinkedIn DMs. There was, we had a thesis that LinkedIn was useless for us. Yeah, and yeah. you just shattered that just completely. Shattered. Everyone, Dude, forget this, TikTok. It's all about LinkedIn stories. LinkedIn is the future, guys. All right, <laughs> short form content is moving to LinkedIn. You heard it here first. LinkedIn's yeah. We, we're gonna have three minute videos. We're gonna have loopable videos. LinkedIn. Yeah, that's where I saw the message. He was like, "Hey, are you doing any corporate work?" And I was like, "Hell yeah!" Shoot me an email. They're being like a, a cool corporate company, and they're doing some sort of it's called the engagement hub where like their employees can come to look at different details about how like numbers and, and quarterly stats and stuff. And they wanted a theme song that was in the style of like team America world police or MacGruber or danger zone by Kenny Loggins. And they're like, we have these superheroes and we need them to be encapsulated in this danger zone esque song. Can you do it? And I was like, guys, give me two weeks. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll cross that. Sequential yeah, database. Yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah. You know? Dude, ah. literally, literally, it's like, I'm like singing everything like this. And there's like shredding guitars. And it's so stupid. But yeah, now I can say that like I worked with IBM. That's pretty cool. It's so cool. One of the things that I've found is it's so amazing to see how you flip the switch. Because when we were on the ship, I, you'd shown me a bunch of your your sketches on Snapchat. One of the favorite ones that stuck out in my head was the the like the deer. It was, it was like a deer AAA meeting. It was like driver's like, ed for deer. Driver's yeah. ed. <laughs> yeah. And it was like, what do you do when you see a car? You know? It's, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> And I could tell that like you wanted to make these sketches, you wanted to create content, and then you just literally buckled down and committed and went hard. And then within six months, your life completely changed. And I just want, I want to highlight that once again for the Faking family. You don't know when it's going to happen, but like just making that decision to really commit to learning to producing and just putting it out there, even if you're not comfortable with it, like things change for you. 100%. It's literally just about committing to something. And for a long time, I have felt like a master of none kind of thing, where I'm pretty good at a lot of things, but I'm not really good at anything. And in thinking about that, like at that time, like one of the purest forms of joy creatively in my life is just making these dumb little videos. So I was like, why don't I just dedicate a lot of time to getting better at this. 
And even now at this point in my life where like now I'm seeing some pretty cool numbers on TikTok and yeah, I'm seeing people respond positively to it. I'm still in my head about I'm not dedicating enough time to doing this. And what would happen if I literally prioritized this above even like live gigs that I need to make money and things like that. And like a challenge for myself moving into the fall this year is really making the most important thing, the most important thing, no matter what. And that to me is like making these little short form videos. Because like you guys said, and I'm sure that you keep notes of your own for like little things that, that you want to try, but I have literally hundreds of, of little voice memos of individual short form ideas. And it's just a matter of time. It's just like making time to prioritize and do it. So it's great advice, Drew. Just lean into something and commit and you never know what's going to happen. And super difficult. But I, th I think another takeaway and like foundational learning for the faking fam is that you were also prepared for these moments, but you might not have thought about it in the past, but having to know 400 songs for the cruise ship classics like Frank Sinatra's WAP, you need to, <laughs> you have to know, you, you have to learn so much. You have so much experience or 10,000 hours, right. so to speak on these little videos, on these goofy little things on doing yep. social media, Snapchat, the heavy hitters, LinkedIn, um, <laughs> like all of that provides this foundation so that when IBM comes calling or that when American Idol comes calling you were ready you had put in a lot of time that wasn't a fresh jump you knew you could do this and you can because you would also put in all the time that might have been in retrospect what am i doing is this a way so i should be practicing my chords or like reading this book or recording an album but no all of that culminated and helped paid off so that when the moment struck since we don't know what's going to happen but when it struck you were ready you were there I could not have said that better. I, I have a lot of fun tracing the trail back for different things in my life and trying to appreciate and be grateful for like how I got to where I got to and why. And literally like American Idol, IBM, Ruggable, Simply Guitar, all these, Glad, like all these little things, they would have never happened if I didn't start writing the jingles. And I guarantee I was okay at writing dumb, short little songs, March 2020, but I am so much better off now. And I'm not necessarily standing in my own way creatively as much as I was simply because I've written like 300 plus of these dumb little songs at this point. And like you said, like at the time, I wasn't really sure if it was worth it. And sure, I could have been drilling scales or, or picking up some new tunes, but I was lucky because in quarantine, it was the only option just to write these songs. And at the time, I didn't really know what it was going to lead to. But you're totally right. It subconsciously led me to be prepared enough to show up when I needed to for a, a cool opportunity like Idol or these big corporate things. Wow. Yeah. Pigeons, they're everywhere I go. But when I see a pack of pigeons, what I think of the most is where the baby's at. Because when I'm looking around, all I'm seeing are big pigeons eating shit off the ground. So you mentioned going towards devoting more time to pursuing that which brings you the most joy which is yeah. writing these sketch going filming these sketches posting these sketches writing more jingles outside of this if you could see yourself your most self-actualized self in mm -hmm. about 10 years what is it that you want to be doing what is it that like where do you see yourself? Because at least for me, I'm having a lot of trouble identifying that for myself. And, and I would love to hear where you are in your journey and, and kind of visualizing. Yeah, that's, dude, I'm, I'm right there with you. The late 20s is, it's I, weird, I feel man. like a tornado. Mm -hmm. Like mentally, I feel like a tornado a lot of the time. And 
It's uh, best case scenario. I if I could align the stars myself, I would be. I I would love to be some sort of like late night host of a variety show, like mm. musical comedy sketches, interviewing that kind of capacity, like Fallon or Conan or like something. It sounds crazy saying that out loud because it's so like universal and monumental, but like doing something in that capacity in, in TV is that's the dream and being able to create original content on that scale and like also be like an entertainer and a host. That's the dream. Obviously like Saturday night live is a stepping stone towards something like that. And Saturday night live also a dream to do like what Andy Samberg did with the lonely Island. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like that's like he to me is like a hero. Bo Burnham is a hero fly to the Concord. These guys that leaned into the musical comedy thing and then used that skill set to elevate to something greater. Yeah. Five to 10 years. If I could be working professionally in, in some sort of context like that, but it's tough. Cause also like at the same time, I'd love to be doing some TV work in, in like a, on a comedy show. Oh, some, yeah, something bro. in the TV space. You think about relocating anytime soon or are you believe, out here? I can't believe we haven't talked about this. I found yeah. a spot in mid city. I'm moving to LA at the end of September. Woo! Yeah, dude, I can't believe we haven't talked about this, bro. I'll be out there, man. Let's go. We can collab, bro. Dude, that's Drew. It is something that I have been thinking about actively. I have a list of people that I I cannot wait to link up with and collab with. And you were obviously there. And Trevor, now that we were connected, man, I I would love to. At the very yeah. least, grab a beer and, and, and kick it. In shit. the stars, my friend. In the stars. Oh, shit. Okay, so I, I just want to say, you heard it here, Faking Fam. You heard it here first. <laughs> Tom McGovern being the next big late night host. I, I see it for you. And I saw it for you the moment I first came to Billboard on Board and was listening to you and Vinny. Like, you are in a special genius zone when you're performing. It's spectacular. You, you can see it when you're doing the finale of, of American Idol, but there is something special about the way your eyes twinkle when you are entertaining people, when you're conversing with people. It's very special. And it's infectious. And I, so oh, wow. I know this is the direction for you. That's really good to say, man. Thank you. Seriously. I sincerely, I, I sincerely feel that. And you're doing the steps that are leading you toward that because there's no um, hosting late night television show degree in college. No. Or some like fast track, you know, if you nice? sign up here in five years, you'll get this. There's not yeah. really a great playbook. But looking at these late night hosts, where they are today, a lot of them are wonderful and some very grateful people because they started in that comedy background. Stephen Colbert is very open about his rise and how he Second got there stuff, and, yeah. and having no money in Chicago and having kids and being like, I got to, I have to quit this. Like I, I can't pay any bills, but what also goes into it is all of this weird, odd background, his Lord of the Rings knowledge, which is outrageous and his interviews. It really comes through all that time he spent doing other things, learning, reading, thinking that would have probably been thought of as useless in most other cases is how he's able to do such incredible interviews and being able to play characters is what leads him to be, to not have to play a character on his late night show. Now, like yep. all these little steps. And that's someone who was having kids going through there and having no money and sitting at the table thinking I've got to quit. This isn't going to yep. work out. 
and and now look at him. And so I can easily see you've been putting in the steps to go out and set this thing in motion because there isn't a playbook. But if there was one, you're doing the right steps. That means a lot, man. Thank you. It's um, it's really overwhelming to think about sometimes, and it's so easy. And I'm sure members of the Faking Fam and you guys are guilty of this too. Comparison is a poison, and it's yeah. it's so easy to discourage yourself by looking at where other people are, especially mm-hmm. in the social media space, mm-hmm. especially in the creating original content. And it's also like, I'm 28 and it's obviously, it comes down to context. For a lot of people, that's, you're a baby. For some people, it's, you're running out of time here. And I struggle daily, literally daily, with the feeling that I'm running out of time and that I'm not where I'm supposed to be. It's my own struggle that I'm I'm trying to deal with, but I don't think that I'm alone in feeling that as an original creator. And it, it's easy to forget that sometimes, but everyone has their own path. And like my 28 is going to look different than Ariana Grande's 28 for a lot of reasons. No? Is she even there yet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. What that reminds me of is like Gary V talks about this. He always talks to any something like, you are a baby. You haven't even started yet. Yeah. Like I'm yeah. 40. And I I feel like I'm 18. And, there's no rule book. There's no know? rule book. It, it yeah. doesn't matter. It like it's literally like you just need to do everything that you can, something every day to bring you closer to your mountaintop. As cheesy as that sounds, if you take two steps forward in one day in the form of watching something to inspire you or writing half a page, that gets you a little bit closer. And those things they. The expen- the growth is exponential if you just keep moving. And uh, I need to shut up and take my own advice, honestly. Because <laughs> yeah. you know. join join the club, man. Because that's what's crazy about this is like the kind of path to success or the path to improving at something, the path to health is so simple and yet it's the most difficult thing in the world. I know how to be healthier. I should exercise a little. I should eat a little better. <laughs> Everyone knows that. Like, that's the diet. That's nutrition. And right. yet it is – the most difficult thing you ever do. It's yep. so hard. It's it, it blows my mind how clear things can be and yet how we just naturally have to push against it. And you'd mentioned the top of the mountain and this North Star, this vision for what you want. And mm-hmm. I've seen people who, who achieve that success. They're able to figure out what that North Star is so that every little decision, whether it might not seem at that time, is a step forward, is a step somewhat in that direction so we can get closer. When did you realize your North Star, either specifically going towards this host or that, yes, I want to do these silly little videos and that's going to lead me on my path. How long did it take for you to realize that North Star? Is it a recent thing? It's very recent, man. It's really recent. I started making these videos in 2018 And I didn't really consider it like I'm going to start taking comedy seriously until 2019, late 2018. So that's another thing I need to remind myself. Like I've only really been at this for two or three years. And yeah, you look at Bo Burnham. He started at 16. Yeah. (laughs) Seriously, it's 16. And sure, he just turned 30, but that's 14 years moving towards something with clarity. And clarity, I think, is one of the most important ingredients in the potion because Ooh. if you don't know <clears throat> sick it's choked on a frog yeah, it's, ah. you, clarity of throat clarity, yeah. clarity of, if, if you don't clear your throat <laughs> you can't talk <laughs> if you don't know what you're working towards then you're just working 
and you're running, but you're not moving anywhere. And it, it has taken me until 2019, really, to have a strong idea of what exactly it is I want to do. And even sooner, like 2020 is really only where I refocused and, and considered these short form things like an actual viable option in terms of making, starting a career path. And yeah, it was recent, for sure. Can I share a little nerdy thing about me? I've learned so much about life from anime. Nice. I'm watching anime, bro. It started with Dragon Ball Z when I was in elementary school. You ever watch Dragon Ball Z? Shout out. Never. You have it, Tom. Oh my Dude, god. Dude, I know Goku and Vegeta and like yeah. I know. But other than that, no. One thing that you learn and, and I think this is just kind of something about Japanese people and their culture. Japanese people will spend their lives trying to get perfect at one thing. Like if they are a swordsman or, or, or swordsmith, they will spend every day trying to get better at chiseling steel and stone. And it's reflected in the art. So Goku, his goal is just to be stronger than he was yesterday. And so he is so singularly focused on becoming that it becomes a reality for him. Like, he, he ascends to levels that nobody ever ascends to. Another example is Naruto. I don't know if you've ever watched that, but he he aims to be the ninja president of his village. And he starts from nothing. But over the course of that journey, all of the trials and tribulations, all the failures that he has to go through, what's necessary is just picking yourself up and taking it one day at a time. Taking yourself up and taking it one day at a time. As I was like being introduced to Naruto, especially in college, it was sophomore year. I did the most performances I'd ever done up to that point in my life. And I had memory slips in every single one of them in front of the entire school. I would, in master classes, play very badly. I was the literally and figuratively the black sheep of the string program. And it got to a point, and I think Faking Fam has heard this before, but it got to a point where I was about to quit. Like I talked to the director of my program, Robert McDuffie, and I was like, I can't perform from memory. I can't perform without mistakes. I'm not cut out for this because all everybody else is doing, everybody else is doing great. And he told me, you just need to keep going. You just need more experience. And don't worry about it. And so while I was watching Naruto fail, and while I was failing, I realized, yeah, that's the game. You got to keep getting back up. That's it. And so I just wanted to share that. Because what you said in your eloquent speech, unlike this one, uh, (laughs) even when you're watching something, even when you're like consuming a piece of content or art, try to find the lessons try to find the lessons. And so my experience of watching anime growing up taught me that lesson. And I think it's working, but uh, it's really amazing to hear it come from different sources. And that's why I love this podcast and and talking to people like you. Yeah. You guys are, you're in a really cool spot because you just get to talk to like dope, inspirational people all the time. You get to add that to your tool chest. (laughs) We love it. Hey, I get to say I had Tom McGovern on the podcast, man. (laughs) Don't at me. Yeah. Talk to him in his childhood bedroom for 90 minutes. It was sick as hell. 
<laughs> focusing in on those learning lessons and those hard moments. And this question is for both you and Talia. You're a couple. You're both achieving things. Things are chugging along. And then the pandemic happens. Mm. And you're both in the performing arts, which I don't know if you guys know this. Didn't turn out so well f- during COVID. Like not a, no. not a good field to be in necessarily. But yeah. interesting. you're experiencing this career-ending, career-earth-shattering thing that is both affecting life as we know it, the world as we know it, and our own fields. Shows are canceled. Things are uprooted. We got to go to that childhood bedroom. Oh, yeah. I, I know how you did it technically by shifting. It seems like for all of us a very clarifying moment. And in fact a net good on the career front and on the focus. I think we're all finding our North Star quicker because of this moment. But that's still easier said than done. How did you both make it through that first dark month? I had it a little I had it a little better off than Talia did, I think. Only because I flew down to Florida on March 14th, 2020. Oh, wow. That was when they called it. I think it, yeah, it was like that day or like the day, day after. It was like that day. Yeah. yeah. And I remember thinking I was just going to go visit for a week and then I was going to fly back up because I had a gig the following weekend that I couldn't afford to lose. I needed to play it. I needed the money. And then literally like that day or like a couple days later, we were like, holy shit, this is, this is something crazy that's happening. I don't think I'm going to fly back next week. March 2020 turns into March 2021 and I'm like still there. So that first month, it was definitely hard, but it was easier for me in the sense that I was distracted with the jingles because I flew down the 14th, those three days were a mind fuck. And then on the 17th or 18th, I think I posted that video on Instagram. And so I was off to the races by like March 19th, March 20th, every day I was writing, every day. Mm. And so Talia and I just feel for her so hard because it was a really tough year for everyone in, in the theater industry and the music industry, obviously, but she took it tough because think about this. She like manifested since the age of nine that she wants to be Alphaba. She finally gets to be Alphaba and she does it for six months and then the world stops turning. And then all of a sudden she goes from the pinnacle of her life back to her childhood bedroom, painted pink, stuffed with stuffed animals and like trophies from elementary school with no end in sight. So it was this really like existential crisis for her and for hundreds and thousands of other performers. And I don't know, Animal Crossing was a blessing. Played a lot of that. <laughs> that definitely saved Talia in a lot of ways. It saved me too. But yeah, I don't know. It was it was not easy. There's no way to, to put it. She definitely struggled. I struggled. I was just fortunate that I had something to work on. I yeah. struggle. I still struggle. I still yeah. struggle to this day. Yeah, it's rough because at least my North Star is like Talia's. It's performing. Yeah. It's being in front of a crowd. All this time that I've spent alone in my life, in my bedroom, practicing, it's supposed to culminate into something. It's not. I'm yeah. still practicing in my bedroom. My viola is on my bed. And I haven't performed in like over a year and yeah. a half now. So I, 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 I resonate. So many of our guests have had kind of these clarifying moments because we were doing interviews always in person until the pandemic, which was great. It allowed us to speak to so many more people, but we also got to talk to people throughout. And I think that was a huge guiding light. We had an excuse to have in-depth conversations with people who going through this traumatic experience together and very similar 
two guests come to mind, like Isabel Hagen. She's violist, comedian. She's great. She was the last comedic opener for The Tonight Show before they had no audience. She was the what? last one. And then yeah. they shut down. We also had Julia Choi, a phenomenal violinist, lands a job at her dream, the thing she'd been visualizing, the Met Opera Orchestra, the best group in the world, gets it, pandemic shuts down, has to go back months later, clean out the locker. Like these traumatic things where we Ugh. hit that moment and life punches in the face. But to see how they handle that and transformed, they're better off. They've done yeah. all of these interesting things, shifting into TV writing, starting their own podcast, playing all sorts of types of music. Amazing, but I think it really underscores the emphasis that so many things are out of our control. So let's focus on the one, the things we can control, like just working on it. And then when the time comes, it's going to be great. We put ourselves in a position so that our preparation will have mattered for something. And the more we can do those opportunities, the better. But um, it's so awesome to finally meet you. I've been watching your Instagram videos for forever. And I'm like, I can't believe I've never actually met Tom. But I yeah, think all I these things are hilarious. Love the songs. And I've loved seeing you go through the American Idol experience. And can't wait to watch you on the, the Late Show with Tom McGovern. <laughs> I want that. Thanks, man. That is that's very cool. It's great to meet you. Finally, Drew has obviously said many good things about you. Drew, I love you and I miss you. And I am gonna give you a hug in person, like within the next like month and a half. I'm Ooh. vaccinated, bro. I'm fully like, waxed. When we get the when we get the booster, because apparently like the government's gonna let everybody on the 20th of September that wants it get a booster. Like mm. I'm getting that shit too. I'm gonna get Boost me some time with cover hugs. We gonna we gonna do some recording. We gonna do some collaborations. This is why I moved out to LA. Yes, I lose sir. my mind. I need collaboration. <laughs> this is That's how why I I'm survive. Going. Yeah. And I wanted to because we're gonna let you go, but I wanted to before we we do roll out the purple and, and gold carpet of the faking oh. fam and what is something that you want to highlight? What is something that you want us to shine the the spotlight on that you're creating or that you're a part of? That is very cool. I have a lot of a lot of silly little things that I'm going to be sharing both on Instagram and TikTok over the next two months that I'm really looking forward to. I'm in the middle of editing a couple of them right now. So I think that would be like the most direct and appreciated way to support if you want to. You can check me out on Instagram and TikTok at Tom McGovern27 or just hit up Tom McGovern on YouTube. There's a bunch of stuff there too. And then yeah, keep an eye out. I'll be in LA late September for at least like six months to a year. And I'm going to be world permitting doing as many live little comedy spots as I possibly can with some of these musical comedy tunes that I've been working on. Also, if you're in the New York area on Sunday September 12th, I'm playing my first full band live show at 54 Below, and I'm going to be doing like an hour of original comedy music with a full band, and it's going to be wow. ridiculous, and it's going to be a good time. I love it. You heard it here first, Faking Fam. You heard it here first, folks. Just catch up at 54 <laughs> Below on September 12th. Tom McGovern, thanks for coming through. Till next time. Thank you, gentlemen.